Well, I have the great privilege of now preaching God's Word. So are you ready to hear God's Word? Yes. Well, we're in the middle of an expository series in the book of Romans. Jim Britt preached last week from Romans 10, verses 5 to 17. And on September 7th, I will pick back up in Romans 10, verse 18 to 1110. But for the next four weeks, church, we want to drill down into the theme of the book of Romans. And what is that theme? That theme is the gospel. The gospel. And if you have your Bibles, just briefly turn to Romans 1, 16 to 17. And I'm going to read that theme to you. Romans 1, 16 to 17. This is the theme of the book of Romans. This is what we're going to drill down into the next four weeks. We're going to do a little mini-series called a Gospel Ministry Mini-Series. Listen to the theme of the book of Romans. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. We sang about that power this morning, his power to save. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And it's that last phrase that I want to capture for this morning's service. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So as we drill down into the gospel, as we pick our head up from going verse by verse and, and preaching in an expository manner through the book of Romans, we realize that we've been talking about the gospel. Now we're going to pick our head up and say, okay, what does that gospel mean for us? And this morning, I get to talk about what the gospel means for us in the sense of what does it look like to live by faith? What does it look like to live by faith? Really, that's another way of asking this. What's at the core of your being? Living by faith is that thing at the very center of your life that you invest everything into. And then, next week, I will lead us in the second of the four-part series in describing what does it look like to live a gospel-centered life as individuals. We talk a lot about corporately and as a church, and we will in the last two weeks, but next week it's going to be about what does it look like to live out this gospel-centered life as individuals? Because church, listen, we are no stronger than our individual members and families. So I will explore what it means to get back to our first love. What does the gospel produce in me as an individual, my family, as we press into Christ's call, as we rejoice in the hope of the gospel in our lives, even at times when we fail? We're going to be looking at someone who's very grateful for that truth, Peter, who denied our Lord three times. And yet the gospel, the very grace of God, gave him that second chance. So that's next week. And then the final two weeks, Jim Britt will come back up here and he'll broaden the lens out and he'll take a look at, well, what does the gospel do corporately? What are the effects of the gospel in the church? What kind of church does the gospel produce? We want to be that kind of church, don't we? Who are we corporately? Why do we do what we do as a church to fulfill God's call on us to declare and demonstrate the gospel as a Christ-centered community? So this morning, let's drill down into what it means to live by faith. Remember, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We live by faith in the righteousness of Christ. 
And then it says, the righteous shall live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? All right, now, now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. That's our text for this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What does it look like for you to live by faith? Or in other words, what are your core commitments? What are the things, what are the things that you would say are at the very core of your life? What are your first priorities? What gets your first attention? What do you invest your heart, your soul, your pocketbook, your life into? That is what it means to live by faith. Because you're living by faith in something. It could be something that's bogus, that won't produce, like a ton of money from your job, or everybody's approval, so you can finally feel good about yourself. You'll notice that the title of the message this morning is, Is It Worth It? Yeah, we need to ask that question, is it worth it, what I'm living for? But, you know, it's that thing. For some of us, it is a startup business. I mean, you've got to pour everything into it by faith that it's going to make it. For others, it's fantasy football. (laughs) Ladies, I tried hard to find one for you, but for us guys... Guys pour more effort into fantasy football and who they're drafting than they do into their finances and long-term retirement. Maybe it's working out. It's a diet. I mean, if all else fails, I'm going to do that today. Ladies, whatever it is for you. Thank you. You get where I'm going. At at a certain point in all of our lives, we've got to pull our heads up and say, is the thing that I'm sacrificing my time, my energy, maybe my family, my health for, is it worth it? Is it? Is it? I mean, thank you for being here. That tells me that you're investing significant time in something that is worth it, and that's Christ and his church. But, But you've got to ask yourself, is it worth it? We all do this, if not formally, then informally. Now, as I said, that's the question, uh, that's the title of the message, and it reveals, again, at our core, where we put our lives, our time, our money, our emotional energy, our minds, our resources. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? See, that's the question the first century Christians, the recipients of the book of Hebrews, were asking themselves. And it's the question that God addresses when he sends this letter to the Hebrew Christians. Actually, it's not just a letter. The the book of Hebrews is a sermon. Some have called it a sermonic letter. It was most likely preached orally first. Now, we have it in a written term, but imagine it being preached like I'm preaching to you right now. (laughs) Much longer sermon than the one you're going to get this morning. But those Christians were asking themselves, hey, is it worth it to keep investing my life, my time, to meet together every week as a church? Hey, is it worth it to invest my emotional capital and these people around me to encourage them to care for one another? Is it worth it? And some friends were even beginning, they were tempted to ask this question, is it worth it to maintain my faith in Christ? It's going to cost me my very life. This faith that I once held so dearly, is it worth it? 
And God speaks his word to them in this letter, in this sermon, and he reveals the superiority of Christ. And he says, if there's anything that's worth it, it's this. For Christ is the one who's worth the investment of our time and our money and our very life. He's the great high priest. He's the one who fulfills the law. Remember, he's speaking to Hebrew Christians, though I think Gentile Christians were listening as well. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. Christ is the source of the mercy and grace that is ours. He's worth it. And so he concludes the letter in our text today. At the end of his sermon, he stands up and he pronounces a blessing, what's called a benediction, but it's also a prayer. It's like a blessing prayer. And it comes at the end of this text, at this section, where he's just been describing to them what acceptable worship to God looks like. What wholehearted service to God looks like. What are we investing our lives into? What do we pay attention to? I kind of sit through my meetings at work, but I'm really thinking about that fantasy football league tonight. You know, I kind of endure this, but I'm really thinking about that. So is that thing that I invest everything into, is it worth it? And, and he's saying it's wholehearted worship to God. What does that look like? And this is what he concludes it with. Verses 20 and 21. The preacher lifts up his hands. And he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, what does life by faith in Christ look like? What is being all in with Christ and his church look like? Taking all my chips and just pushing them right in the center of the, of the table. For them, some of them were losing their lives and their homes. They were being arrested and they were asking, is it worth it? And he's saying, what does it look like? What does it look like to be all in, church? And he stands and he concludes it with this. And just like you've seen me stand and lift up my arms and pronounce a benediction and a prayer over you at the end of my sermon, which I will do again this morning, he was doing it here in this text. He pronounces a benediction. It's also a prayer. It's a prayer to God who has and will continue to bless those Hebrew Christians, those first century Christians. And he's saying to them, it is worth it to give one's life to Christ, to give your life to the church and his people. And I believe that God is giving this text here this morning to us, 21st century Christians. And he's saying to us, it is worth it, church. No matter how much you've been disappointed, perhaps by the people sitting around you, perhaps by life, perhaps by others that are no longer here. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to give your life to Christ and his church and his people. In fact, this morning, I don't just want you to see me raise my hand and bless you with my voice. But, oh, friends, don't you know I'm only here because of God and Christ and he see him standing behind me, lifting up his nail-scarred hands and blessing you. And he's interceding for you in the heavenlies. It's worth it. It's worth it. Friends, it's a new day at Palm Vista. And what we're doing here is hitting the refresh on the gospel ministry vision button so that we can then move full speed ahead and accelerate into the glorious and blessed future that God has for us as individuals together as a church. But to do that, we've got to at least briefly review our gospel history. See, we at Palm Vista have lived by faith for over 17 and a half years, and you and I sometimes ask ourselves, was it worth it? 
See, it's important to acknowledge with gratitude the gospel fruit that God has produced in this church for the last 17 and a half years. And the gospel history that, that we have has uniquely positioned us to where we are today. And it's important to, to review that so that we can spring forward into the future. See, we're a church that experienced constant growth, both numerically and spiritually, with very few trials for the first 15 years of our existence. From January 1997 to January 2012, that was our experience. I was reviewing our historical files in my office and found one of the very first guest welcome letters I ever wrote. It is dated February 11th, 1997. We were just about a month old as a church, still meeting in the living room of our home with maybe 15 people in the meeting, and seven of them's last name ended as Pino. <laughs> my four kids, my wife, and my sweet mom. Mommy, gracias por venir. I believe she was attending the church across the street when we planted this church, Our Lady of the Lakes. And I'm so glad, Mom. What a blessing. The addressees to the letter were... Sean and Denise Worley. I know they're on vacation. Are they still on vacation? Where are you? Okay, there you go. With the handsome guy right next to you, who was this big when this letter was written. And your daughter wasn't even born yet. Let me read the letter to you. February 11th, 1997. Dear Sean and Denise, thanks so much for coming to Palm Vista Community Church. We enjoyed having you in our home and sharing a meal after years. We were so small, we actually had lunch after the church service, which is pretty biblical be difficult to do it today, although I would love to feed all of you, but a little expensive. God's goodness is so evident when we can take time out from busy schedules, and thank you for taking time out from busy schedules. Sorry. You've been really good friends. Sorry, I did not plan that one. (laughs) Okay, I'm also remembering the birth of your daughter and the emotions that we went through there and just seeing her sitting there so beautiful. She almost passed away when she was born, so that's another story you can talk to them about. Next paragraph. If we can be of service to you in the weeks and months to come, please do call on us. We hope to see you again. (laughs) And trust that God has blessed you while you were with us. Sincerely, Alpino Pastor. P.S. May the fighting Irish regain their former glory in the not-too-distant future. It's here. How sad. So, Sean, apparently we talked about Notre Dame football. That's his favorite team. Oh, Sean, we have not changed, have we? No. However, I don't think they've captured their former glory. They made it to the championship game. Okay. Certainly not the glory of the Gators. I haven't changed. Oh, I love you guys. I'm so grateful for you. I really am. So over the next 15 years, God added many wonderful couples like Sean and Denise and many wonderful college and career singles. I I love ladies, some of you ladies, you are saints of God, these, you career ladies, you you, you godly women. man. And many wonderful youth, thank you youth, children. We grew up together in the warm sunshine of God's grace and love, all the while dreaming one day of planting out a church from Palm Vista, planting it south in beautiful, crazy, wild, bilingual Miami, in the heart of Miami. I mean, Miami Lakes is, you know, it's kind of Cakeville, right? It's on the border with Broward. But I mean, Miami, 
Church, we prayed and we planned over those 15 years. We saved our money. We were frugal with our budgets. We equipped leaders. You were part of that. And then the day finally arrived two and a half years ago on January 8th, 2012, when we, including children, sent out 44 people, some of our very best, some founding members, our primary worship leader. (laughs) Zeke, thank you for picking up the mantle. You're doing a great job. One of our most seasoned community group leaders and a fireball preacher whom we had the joy of this fireball preacher of identifying him and really I think it was over eight years training him, investing in him. I had the privilege of of presiding. I officiated at his wedding and we planted them out on that day, January 8th, 2012 to Westchester and to our surprise, things have never been the same since. We could not see then, and nor did we anticipate how much it would cost us to fulfill God's gospel mission for us as a church. How much it would cost us as a church to live by faith. But I'm telling you right now, it was worth it. You see, it was our joy to give generously and even sacrificially. We've changed our church. It's almost like a new church since then. It's like we're replanting Palm Vista. I didn't see that one coming. But it was worth it. It was worth it to plant out a church with faith that gospel ministry would go forth to an area we would never reach. And it has gone forth. And it continues to go forth. It's happening right now. Jesus' name is being preached. That I know. The gospel is being preached. Worship songs are being sung. Community groups are being met with in the middle of the week. Lives are being changed. New names are being added. God's elect. It was worth it. But church, let's be honest, since then, events, some beyond our control, have led to some big changes for us who have remained at Palm Vista. Those changes included saying goodbye to dear friends and partnerships, at times in in certain ways that tore our hearts apart and we're still weeping. And then quite unexpectedly, we went through a process of evaluating our long-time denominational ties, ending with the decision at the end of June to say goodbye to the denominational group that had been our family all these years. We officially said goodbye to Sovereign Grace Ministries. And we've now begun a process of finding a new denominational home. And as Corey mentioned, we are going to be sharing with you some very, very, very important updates about that on our church family meeting two weeks from today, Sunday, August 24th, 5 p.m. Please be here. And if you see, you know, folks that aren't here today, members or guests that have been coming a lot, tell them to come. Ride together, carpool. Get here. We need you. Because it's an exciting time. There are new faith challenges ready to go, and it's worth it. Let's go get it. Sure, in these last two and a half years, God and his glorious providence has allowed us to undergo many trials that he has used to mature us as a church, and trials of such intensity that we could not imagine them in the first 15 years. But it's worth it. So we come to this service today very grateful to God for all that he has done, that he is doing, and that he will do. And we have great faith for that. But we also come with some weariness, if we can be honest. Born of disappointment. It didn't actually go the way we planned that it would go. That's okay. It went the way God planned it would go. It's worth it. 
So like the first century Hebrew Christians, we are evaluating anew and taking inventory and asking, is it worth it? And God answers that question with this text in Hebrews 13. So we're finally there, ready to read it. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Please turn to it in your Bibles. Please read it with me. This is the word of God. This is worth it. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. The preacher's standing now, giving a benediction and a prayer over his congregation. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, yes, Lord, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Notice how Paul turns the pronoun from you, second person plural, to us, first person plural, he includes himself. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a message. Oh Lord, what a passage. Oh Lord, what a Savior. Father, may our eyes now look to you as we begin to take inventory on whether it was worth it. May our eyes not drop down to man or circumstances or even ourselves. But may they be lifted to you. Is it worth it? Yes. Bless your people here. Jesus, you are interceding for us in the heavenlies. That we know from Hebrews. That's our confidence. That's what makes it worth it. We pray in your name, Jesus. To you, O Father, by the power of you, O Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are anticipating what you're going to say to us right now. Amen. Well, if you would show the picture, Dr. Kent Brantley is someone you may recognize. He is the physician that contracted the deadly Ebola virus in Liberia and was flown back to Emory University Medical Center in Atlanta, Georgia. He is currently undergoing treatment at Emory. And he was asked this question, was it worth it, Dr. Brantley? Quoting now from him. My wife Amber and I, along with our two children, did not move to Liberia for the specific purpose of fighting Ebola. We went to Liberia because we believe God called us to serve him at ELWA Hospital. One thing I have learned is that following God often leads us to unexpected places. Amen? Oh, yeah. We've been to some unexpected places, right? Unplanned uh, stops on the road. When Ebola spread into Liberia, my usual hospital work turned more and more toward treating the increasing number of Ebola patients. I held the hands of countless individuals as this terrible disease took their lives away from them. I witnessed the horror firsthand, and I can still remember every face and name. When I started feeling ill on that Wednesday morning, I immediately isolated myself until the test confirmed my diagnosis three days later. When the result was positive, I remember a deep sense of peace that was beyond all understanding. God was reminding me of what he had taught me years ago, and here it is, folks, that he will give me everything I need to be faithful to him. He will give me everything I need to be faithful to him. He will give us everything we need, church, to be faithful to him. Now, it's two weeks later. This was this, this last week he said these things. Now it's two weeks later, and I am in a totally different setting. Yeah, he's at Emory in Atlanta. My focus, however, remains the same. To follow God. 
as you continue to pray for Nancy, I believe that's the other worker that was infected, and me, yes, please pray for our recovery. But more importantly, pray that we would be faithful to God's call on our lives in these new circumstances. Oh, church. When we ask the is it worth it question, we must not start with our circumstances or with ourselves, but we must start with our God and his character. And if you look at verse 20, he's the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We're those sheep. He's the great shepherd by the blood of the eternal covenant. And he will enable us to do his will. Like he said here, God will give me everything I need to be faithful to him. And he will work in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. As Dr. Brantley said, God will give us everything we need to be faithful. He's going to do the same for us. See, the headline of this sermon is the following. The God of peace blesses us through the Prince of Peace. The God of Peace blesses us through the Prince of Peace. This blessing produces the very gospel ministry that we're going to drill down into these next four weeks. This gospel ministry that God has called us to. As Jim preached last week from Romans 10, we're the ones God is sending to preach the good news of the gospel. And he sends us with a blessing and a prayer. This is what it means to walk by faith, church, individually and corporately. So let's begin now where we should with God. Point one, the God of peace. If you look at verse 20, you will notice that it is pointing back to all that God has done for us. That is the foundation of this benediction, this blessing, this prayer. It's God's covenant with us in Jesus Christ. See, our prayer and benediction are founded on Christ. And and, and it's given with great expectation that God will do for us what he's already done for us in Christ. See, throughout the book of Hebrews, God is gently taking the head of these sometimes weary, sometimes discouraged Hebrew Christians, and he's saying, don't look down, but look up to Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Yes, there are disappointments. Listen, church, and there's even desertions, and some are really painful. But, oh, friends... Do not grow weary in well-doing. Our God is greater than all of that. He's the God of peace. The God of peace. See, God brought peace between us and himself through Jesus Christ, putting Christ to death on the cross for our sins, and that is the greatest need anyone has, and that need is the need that God has met. That's the reason Dr. Brantley could be at peace when he got the diagnosis that he was going to perhaps die of this deadly Ebola virus. Remember he said, I had a peace beyond understanding why. Because Dr. Brantley truly understood that his most deadly virus, sin, had been dealt with in Christ. If you're here this morning and are a guest and are not a Christian, first of all, thank you for coming. But secondly, can I appeal to you this morning, there is a virus far more deadly than Ebola that's called sin. And Jesus has come to take the penalty of that sin and give you the inoculation against that death that that virus will bring. Jesus, God has given peace terms between you and him. There's a war between you and him. And it's in Christ. Would you accept those terms this morning? Please. 
please. You see, the next part of verse 20, how did he then bring peace between us and himself? Well, he did this, he, he did this by bringing again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Do you see it there? Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. See, God's work in bringing again the Lord Jesus from the dead has this Old Testament flavor to it. Remember, the author of Hebrews is, is speaking to Hebrew Christians primarily. And so really this flavor is one they would understand. It's this whole idea of God delivering his people from slavery in the Exodus. God leading his people out of death and slavery. And Jesus now is the one who leads us, leads us out of that death, leads us out of that slavery. He is this great shepherd of the sheep. Do you see that? Second part of verse 20. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. This shepherd metaphor is Jesus fulfilling the whole idea, the whole Old Testament idea of a Messiah, of a leader. Moses would have been a leader like that. David would have been a leader like that. But Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater David. Leading his people out from sin and death and leading his people like a shepherd, the great shepherd, because his people are a bunch of sheep that are straying. 1 Peter 2.25 says this, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Oh, church, we've got someone who's overseeing our souls. We need that oversight. And it's Jesus, the great shepherd. He made peace between God and us. And how did he do that? The last part of verse 20. By the blood of the eternal covenant. Oh, friends. It is by the blood of Jesus that he took the wrath of God against us. And he spilled that blood on earth. But that blood now was sprinkled in the heavenlies. And because that blood was sprinkled in the heavenlies and God said, I accept his sacrifice, I am now going to have peace with all those who confess Christ as Lord. That blood is effective for all my elect, all those who put their faith in Christ. Now I've accepted your sacrifice. Now I'm going to raise you from the dead. That's what this text means. Well, I mean, look, look at Hebrews 9. It's all over Hebrews, by the way, but look at Hebrews 9, 12 and 14. He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. This is the heavenly holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. No, that was being done in the earthly temple, but it wasn't enough. Jesus went into the heavenlies. But by means of his, Jesus' own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. This is an eternal covenant. Jumping down to verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, love this Trinitarian formula here of redemption purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living god remember the whole thing here is how do i worship god how would i serve him together is it worth it well i do it by the blood of jesus he makes peace with me through the blood of jesus i love what o'brien says pt o'brien by the way has a great um, commentary on the book of hebrews O'Brien says the following, Christ's resurrection is the demonstration that his sacrifice of himself has been accepted by God and the new covenant established on the basis of that sacrifice. Do you have peace with God? Do you? If you're not a believer, oh, make peace today. It's only possible because of what he's done, but you must respond. And if you have made peace with God, then know this, that God blesses you with the supreme blessing, the blessing of peace with himself by the blood of Jesus, a a peace you could never achieve on your own. 
So rest in that peace. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your disappointment today, no matter how weary you are because of that, he is your great shepherd. He cares for you. It is worth it because of who our God is, the God of peace. And now verse 21 transitions us from what God has done in Christ to what now God will do and is doing through Christ and his saints. Point two, the blessing. Look at verse 21. Here's the blessing. So this, this is a blessing and a prayer. It's like he's blessing them and also praying that it happened. Both and. But it's going to happen because it's based on what Jesus has done, not on what we can do. So since it's based on what he has done, not what he can do, it's going to happen. Look at verse 21. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's the first key blessing. God equips us with everything good that we might do his will. This word equip, this verb equip, is used of Christ earlier in Hebrews when it says that he was given. It's that Greek word that we translate equip here. He was equipped with a body to do God's will because Jesus did God's will and he sacrificed himself for us and he gave us his righteousness, not ours, and our faith is in him. We can do God's will. That's great blessing. It's worth it to do God's will by God's power but through Jesus Christ. God draws us to himself. Do you see that connection between Jesus, the great shepherd, the overseer of our souls, who enables us to do God's will? Because Jesus' human response, he was God and man, was to do God's will. He was given a body to do God's will because his human response was to do God's will. He was obedient by faith and then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for us not doing God's will. Now in him, we can do God's will. That's a great blessing. Hebrews 2.10 points to that blessing when it says the following, for it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, sons is generic, sons and daughters, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. That's all that's saying there. We can do God's will because Jesus did God's will and then suffered for us, took the penalty for us not doing God's will. What a blessing. What a blessing. And then this blessing is augmented with a second blessing. God works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. The second part of verse 21. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Now remember the theme here is what does acceptable worship look like? If I'm going to worship God acceptably, what does an acceptable sacrifice of worship look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Someone who's in Christ. Because Jesus' blood is what makes my sacrifice acceptable. It's what makes this sermon acceptable. However good, take the best sermon that was ever preached ever in the history of mankind, the most anointed sermon. Thousands of people were saved. People were healed. I mean, it was the sermon of all sermons. That sermon, if it was preached by a human being, would be unacceptable to God if it weren't for the blood of Jesus. Your best service is unacceptable unless it's covered by the blood of Jesus. That's the good news. What a blessing. See, Jesus stands ministering in the heavenlies to make our sacrifice acceptable to God. When I stand and worship, oh, stand and worship at the end of this service and sing with all your hearts, but I don't care how purely, how perfectly you sing, how on key you sing. I'm going to kill this microphone. How on key you sing. I don't care, okay? How your heart is perfect and given to God 
It's unacceptable unless your faith is in Jesus' righteousness. Now sing with all your heart. If you gave all your money, it would be unacceptable if it weren't for the blood of Jesus. If you gave all your time, it would be unacceptable if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. Good news is that God makes it acceptable because of the blood of Jesus. Uh, Here's the good news. God brings peace by equipping his people with everything good for doing his will and affecting in them what is pleasing in his sight. Folks, this is the greatest peace that anybody can ever have and it is possible for you and me in Christ Jesus. What treasures of richness indeed is it worth it? Oh, it is worth it because of these blessings that God pronounces on us through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Point three the Prince of Peace. God blesses us through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, to whom, look at the very last part of verse 21, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's just finished the sermon. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. And he finished the blessing. Amen. Time to go for lunch. Not then, but yes, now. Amen. God blesses us through the Prince of Peace. This prayer, this benediction, ends with doxology. Benediction, blessing, doxology, glory. Dox is the Greek word for glory. So it it starts with benediction and prayer. It ends with doxology. It reminds me of the great doxology. And and I love to hear it sung. It's sung by none better than the the Beisners at lunch. I remember the first time we had lunch with the Beisners back then. I think most of the kids were there. A lot of them were there. And we're just there. It's like, a, you know, an afternoon lunch. We're just kind of half sleep. Okay, it's time to say a blessing. Sure, let's say a blessing. I bow my head. And then it's like all the, like the, all the choirs of heaven began to sing. If you've never had that experience, you need to have that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the amen is the greatest. I mean, like 14 parts. It's like crying. See, this refers to God, and it's through Jesus Christ that we offer this acceptable uh, worship to God. And it's it's exactly how the sermon concludes. It's exactly how this sermon is concluding. This prayer, this benediction, begins by invoking the God of peace, and it concludes by giving doxology and praise and glory to Jesus Christ because Christ's glory will one day be ours. We could answer the is it worth it question with a resounding, thundering, yes! What does it look like to live by faith, to invest our lives in the most worth it endeavor ever? The church, Christ, his people, looks like what we've been doing. Just keep doing it. That's what he says in Hebrews. Don't give up, keep it up. Stay faithful, it's true. Faith and patience. Obtain the promise. Oh, it is worth it because the glory of Christ is what he will share with us at the end of the age. A resounding it is worth it. The God of peace who blesses us with every good thing to do his will and works in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose glory we will share for all eternity. That makes it worth it. Let's pray. Lord, I I do not know everyone that is here this morning. I I thank you that there are faces I've never seen before. I thank you that they have wandered into this auditorium or perhaps they are here because a friend or family member invited them. And I thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and your kindness and your mercies. 
Lord, if there's someone here in this auditorium who has not responded to the gospel, then I pray that you would turn their heart toward you. That they would see that they're at war with you, that they are sinners, what the Bible calls being convicted of sin and of rebellion. And they would suddenly, suddenly understand that they are in a big, deep problem with you. And then show them, reveal to them that you have made peace through the blood of Jesus. You've raised him from the dead. And that they would see that there is a great shepherd, one who will oversee and care for their soul, one who would deliver them from death and slavery. Would you save them this morning? Lord, I, try, I believe that probably for the most of us, the majority of us, it's just we're struggling. We're drifting a little bit. We've been disappointed. Things didn't turn out as we thought they would. People have left. We're hurting a little bit. Lord, would you now come, great shepherd of our souls, and care for our souls, and remind us, lift our heads, and let us see you, the God of peace. You have brought peace between us and you. What can man do to me? Lord, give us fresh faith. As we talk about the future of Palm Vista, the future of the gospel, yes, the future of what you're going to do through us. You promise that you're going to give us everything we need to do your will. You're going to work that which is pleasing in your sight in us. So we say yes to that promise and amen, and we receive the blessing. And now we sing to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Church, stand for a moment. Let me give you some instruction before we sing this song. We're going to sing a song, our song from age to age. Can you please put the uh, first verse up there, please? Let me give you some pastoral injunction and structure. I believe this is biblical. Part of what we do when we gather together is not just listen to the preached word. No, you should interact with me. I look forward to the day when there's a few more amens. I like that. It's not a spectator sport, folks. Nor, Nor are you just listening to a great band sing and play no no we're leading you in worship a worship that is acceptable to God made acceptable by the blood of Jesus I'm not talking about performance or you have to do this or jump up and down you don't have to do that if you're a quiet person be quiet but be quiet toward God and get engaged by the spirit of God part of what we do here the Bible says when you come together come together and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs instructing one another so yes we're singing to God this morning but we're singing to one another we're singing to all creation I need you to sing. (laughs) Some of you may sing with less faith than others. That's okay. The blood of Jesus covers all that. But they need you to hear. Someone needs you to, to hear you sing. And we all sing to God. And Jesus makes this song acceptable. No matter what you've done or haven't done this week. Amen? Let's sing it.